Thanks again so much for listening to the Happiest Person in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Katie Clancy, and I have narrowed down the keys to happiness in our industry to eight main principles. Service, grace, talent, active happiness, growth, body, art, and execution. Throughout this podcast, we will take deep dives in each one of them and talk to people who have mastered them. In this episode, I will introduce all eight principles and, and give a few right now tips and strategies for each. So get yourself a piece of paper and a pen because this episode is going to be loaded with great takeaways. You ready? All right. We're going to start with service. So this is the most basic element of any sales business, service. Service is about them. It's about giving. But the fact is, when you've got quotas and goals, how do you keep that other-focused perspective all the time? So I'm going to give you three exercises that you can do to get you there. You ready? All right. The first one is, I want you to think about the three best experiences you've had in your work. Moments where you were like, this is why I do what I do. Like, what were the circumstances around those? Did you get a really tough transaction across the line for an incredibly deserving client? Was it receiving an amazing, humbling review? Or maybe prevailing in an especially tough negotiation? Think about what the common denominator is in all of these scenarios. If you look closely, I bet you will see that the thread that ties them all together is that you did your work with your client's needs and wants at the top of your mind. All right, number two, for service. The modern motivational pyramid. This is is something that I am, I just adore this analogy. So in sales, we are all taught to make financial targets, right? And and work hard for them. This is a universal commonality through, through virtually all of sales, whether it's real estate or anything. But when the going gets tough, that financial goal can start to feel kind of hollow. And it's easy to back off that goal. So to get through the grind that is required for significant and sustained, and that's the key piece, sustained success, you've got to go deeper than a dollar figure. So there's also a, so if you think of a pyramid, the dollar figure, the money would be the tip of the pyramid. In that middle layer, this is where you go a little deeper. This is where, so if we're talking about a dollar figure that sort of blows your mind, well, what if you actually made that dollar dollar figure? What like what's a boatload of money for you? What would it mean to you personally? And this is where we go from the pay down to the personal. What would it mean? Would you would you pay off a bunch of debt, take a vacation, you know, boost your savings? What would you do? Because when you actually give that money a job, it becomes a little more real and it'll keep you in the fight just a little bit longer. But honestly, even that can wear thin after a while. Sometimes you need, you really need more than just money to keep you going, all right? So if you really want to get in a frame of mind that takes away the fear and anxiety of, you know, we got to make a big phone call, you've got to do a tough negotiation, and you need courage, and you're afraid, you have to start thinking about what it means in the life of a person to buy or sell a house, like put yourself in their shoes and consider how important it is to have someone like you to trust and lean on through the process. When you make it about purpose and realize that 
all higher purpose comes down, it really does, comes down to service to others, you can get your own fears and, by the way, your ego out of the way. All right. So now, so we've got two of our exercises down for service. What's the third one? So the third one is really kind of a fun one. Um, ideal client. So, so after saying <laughs> ideal client is the third exercise. So, but after saying all that about being selfless and, you know, really serving and blah, 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 blah. Sometimes no matter how selfless and giving you are, you are just not going to be someone's cup of tea. I know. Can you believe it? Um, this is a hard, actually a hard pill for salespeople to swallow and a huge source of discouragement for even experienced people. And it's true. No, nobody wants to turn down business, right? But if you don't refine your clientele, this business is going to eat you alive. The bestiest salespeople I know know who they work best with, and they spend their marketing energy trying to get as many of those specific kinds of people and clients into their sphere as possible. And it doesn't mean that they only work with people who fit their preferred profile. It just means that they only market to that person, which I know seems counterintuitive. Like what business don't you want? In fact, you should have a good answer to that question. There is business that you don't want. Um, um, but if you're, if you're targeting one particular market, you're, you're, there's going to be incidental people that come in sort of anyway. So you, you can't stress about it. You've really got to pick a target. So how do you do it? All right. Think about some of the best client experiences you've had, like not just, you know, specifically the clients, the relationships. Look for the commonalities. Was there, is there like a demographic you find you work best with? For me, I realized there were a couple. Like I really love working with what I call the suburban power couple. They just, we just, we get along. I don't know. We click, they speak my language. We we do really well. Um, I don't do quite as well with, you know, people who are investors. It's not necessarily my jam. Um, so, you know, knowing what you do and don't work well with is good. Is there, uh, maybe there's another, another group of people that, that you really like. You may find that they've all got something in common, um, or maybe they sort of sort themselves out into two or three categories. These, if you want to know, these are what I'm talking about very loosely is personas. We'll go into this much more deeply in another episode. Um, but if you want to find out more about personas, I think HubSpot.com has a really good piece about personas in there if you just Google it. But anyway, as you refine these personas, you can more precisely craft your brand message and your marketing and thus attract more of the right client for you. All right. So that's, that's service. What's the next one? Do you remember? Principle two is grace. Grace. What is grace anyway? And what does it have to do with being happy in real estate? Well, grace is sometimes defined as courteous goodwill. But my favorite definition, <laughs> I love this, is unmerited mercy. It's the opposite of snarkiness, okay? And it's, it's kind of like a magic spell for diffusing tension and conflict, which is a very common scenario in sales and real estate in general, and real estate and sales in general. Uh, I've got three ways that you can deploy grace to minimize these situations. So you're definitely going to need a piece of paper and maybe a moment. You may need to pause the recording here to um, do this next ex next exercise, which is called the humanizer. 
So what I want you to do is think about the most problematic person in your work life right now. Maybe it is a really tough client, an agent that you just butt heads with all the time. And uh, I want to answer a few questions about them. And honestly, every single one of these questions could probably be answered by just opening their Facebook profile. All right, ready? We have uh, seven questions. Nope, six questions. Number one, when is their birthday? Number two, where did they go to high school? Number three, what do they do? What did they do for a living? If they're an agent, what did they do for a living before real estate? And if they're not an agent, what do they do for a living now? Number four, do they have a partner or a spouse? Number five, are they a parent? And number six, do they have pets? So if you need to pause for a moment and go get those answers, please do it. Go on, pause it. Are you pausing? <laughs> okay, with these answers, with these answers, you are, I, something happens when you have this information. When we're in conflict with someone, it's easy to draw thick lines of difference and sort of otherness between you and the other person. But if you put in a little bit of curiosity about them, like we just did with these six questions, you'll start to, you can't help but start to see them as more human and even worse, more like you. Because we think about it, like you, maybe they went to the same high school as you. And, you know, if you're a dog person and they have a dog, how, how much can you really not like them? I mean, come on, dog people. We're like a, we're like a cult. Um, but once you, once you do that and you're able to humanize them a little bit more, your feelings will soften. You will naturally give them a, a little bit of grace without losing face. And that's the key. You don't, you don't, you lose that defensiveness when you just sort of start to see them as human and it makes your communication so much smoother. You don't need to be their best friend. It doesn't mean to that, you know, you guys are going to be all snuggly, but at least you can solve some problems together. Okay. That's the exercise number one for grace. Let's go to exercise number two. I love this one. I love the title of this one. It's called, what's your problem? <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but it's possible that sometimes, just sometimes, you are actually the jerk. Yeah, it happens. Um, sometimes people just push your buttons, rub you the wrong way, catch you on a bad day, and you find yourself low on patience and feeling kind of pointy. Um, but just like the problematic person in the previous exercise, you didn't start that way, right? And, and also like them, a little grace will go a long way. And in this case, the grace that's going to be extended is going to be from you to you, all right? And this is what we're, this is how we're going to do it. Um, all right, so think about think about the hardest thing you've gone through. Okay, I love Brene Brown saying she says, of course I can't remember exactly, but you know everyone you know is fighting a battle that would um, bring you to your knees if you knew about it, or has gone through something that would bring you to your knees. You have gone something that has brought you to your knees and a lot of people don't know that about you. Um, think about that for a minute and how that changed you and how it's defined you for better, or for worse. That's a part of you. Um, and then in that, that can, you know, that, that has formed the way that you interact with people and it can sometimes not 
you know, help make you show the best side of you. Uh, the second thing I want you to think about is, is there a certain kind of person that kind of triggers you, that reminds you of a bad time, and you know it's just hard for you to get past it. If you gonna, if you come across a person like that in your travels in work, it's gonna, it's gonna set you off in a bad way. I had, a, I remember early in my career, I was doing a deal with an agent, so I was, you know, young woman, a little bit unsure of what I was doing, and you know, half faking it till I made it. And this guy was kind of cocky, old school, like we're at the closing table and I'm, you know, sitting all prim and proper. He's leaning back in his chair with his hands folded behind his head. And he just reminded me of like, just every know-it-all chauvinistic guy, older guy that, you know, I'd ever seen in my life. And I felt he was just looking at me like I was a little baby and all this. I was like, I hate that guy. He's awful. (laughs) Well, a few years go by. I grow up a little bit, get a little bit more mature. And I'm talking with an agent friend of mine who I really like. And she's talking about this other agent who's just like, or no, it wasn't an agent, about this neighbor of hers who's just awesome, this great guy, helped her out with her kids when uh, she split from her husband, is just always been there, blah, blah, blah. Like he just, he'd go to the ends of the earth for anybody. Of course, it's this guy that I just had pegged as just yucky and awful. Had nothing to do with him. He So he leaned back with his, you know, he he had a body language that just, triggered me and just got me going. And I made stuff up about him that wasn't true. It was all about me. And now I understand that. And 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 that's what I want you to understand about yourself, that there's some people and some things that are going to get you going for no other reason except you got a bad attitude about it. And uh, you can realize it has to do so much more with you than with them. Okay. Grace, part three. This is the most fun part of this exercise. And it's all about agent relations. Now listen, agent relations, I mean, our careers depend on good relationships with other agents, am I right? Like you see someone's name on a listing, you want to go, yay! And you want other people to say like, oh, great, Katie's on there. This is going to be a great transaction. So it's very much worth investing in good relationships with other agents. A lot of us have a habit of looking at each other first as adversaries, though. Though we, you know, we kind of sometimes just come open up swinging and um, doesn't need to be that way. You, you should stop that. <laughs> um, but this is so here's a step that will will get you in the right direction. I want you to think about um, if you could co-broke with just three agents for the rest of your career only three. You'll never have to do business with anybody else again, but these three people. Who would they be? Think about that right now. If it's four, that's okay. Who would the who would the three agents you'd love to just do business with only for the rest of your career? All right. Your homework is today to write them a note. And I you know, bonus points if you actually write a note and put a stamp on it, stick it in the mail. But I mean, if you only text it, whatever, it's fine. The message gets across. But let them know. Be like, ah, I was listening to this podcast, and they were talking about how to, you know, be happier in real estate. And one of the exercises, I had to pick an agent that I wanted to do business with for the rest of my career, and you came up. I just wanted you to know that I really appreciate the way you operate, love working with you, and um, let's do it again. Can you imagine getting that note? 
Wouldn't that be awesome? Would you not be excited to see that person walk up to your listing with a buyer next time? Yeah, I think you would. So yeah, so do that. All right, what's next? Number four is one of my favorite. It is active happiness. So people often think that happiness is something that happens to them. An event happens and it causes you to be happy. Kind of true in the short term, but if you want deep down what I call macro happiness, like in your guts, you got to go after it. You got to go get it. You've got to actively pursue happiness. And there are three main tools that anybody under any circumstance can do. And they are, first of all, find things to be grateful for. This, uh, this I thought was the, the airy fairy hokey fo- hokey garbage. It's not. And I think everybody says that when they first hear it and then they try it and they're like, oh, that kind of works. Piles of science behind this. When you're searching for things to be grateful for, you're just thinking about happy things. You're thinking about, does this, should this, you know, rank as one of my things I'm grateful for? Well, that's pretty good, but it's not the best thing. And you just go through this list of possible candidates for things that you would be grateful for. It can't help but put you in a better frame of mind. And on the same sort of theme, gratitudes and affirmations. So gratitudes, I used to call gratitudes the truths. Affirmations were the lies. (laughs) Those were the things that I made up that I wished were true. And I didn't realize I was writing affirmations. So affirmations are, I am, I have, these things are true. When they're not quite true yet, but they're the things that you want, you affirm them. You say, yep, this is This is who I am. This is what's going on. And you would be surprised if you keep up that habit, what starts to materialize. Is it just because of the affirmations? I don't know. I don't care. It works. All right. Number two under active happiness is kindness. When you put kindness out, when you make an effort to have a good impact on somebody else, you have just brought the world up a notch. And by doing that, you're going to bring yourself up like... 5x from what you for just from doing something nice or saying something nice or having a positive impact on somebody or something else is going to make you feel better. Careful of your motives there. Don't just do it to make yourself feel good. You've got to do it without any expectations. And that's the pr- place where people get caught. You can't expect a thank you. You can't even expect to see their reaction. And that's a hard one because, you know, you like to give a present, you like to give a compliment, but you just got to give these things freely. Or, you know what? They're not gifts. If you're waiting for a thank you, you're waiting for them to tell you how great you made them feel. Now it's about you. So be careful with the kindness challenge and just put it out there, put it out there, put it out there. My favorite, one of my favorite sayings is be attached to the activity, not the outcome. Just put it out there and let fate do the rest. And then the third um, tool in active happiness is meditation, which also falls under the airy fairy category for me, but also turns out to be hugely powerful. It's only thousands of years old, but, but what do I know? I think, you know, it's it's a joke. It's not a joke. Meditation is uh, the real deal. It takes some practice to kind of get your head in that space. But boy, when you do, it's like, how do I, it's like mouthwash for your brain. That's meditation. It just cleans it up. You get a fresh start. Everything's all sparkly and clean and you can get on with things. Love that. Active happiness. Probably my favorite happiness principle. Principle number five. Okay. These are the last Four, we're into the second half, five, six, seven, and eight. Principle number five is simply called be better. 
Be better, get better, do things, actively choose to be better at whatever it is you're doing. So how can you do that? Well, here are three easy things that you can do. One, read a damn book. Okay, you got to read books about what you do. You've got to find out how people are doing things better than you are. If you want to get better, you can read inside the industry, outside the industry, whatever you want. Um, But reading, huge, good way to feed your brain. And by the same token, listening to a podcast or listening to a book. You can, I love podcasts. You can just fill your podcast library with all the things you can totally customize it to whatever it is you want to be filling your brain with. And then press play, and as the episodes update, you just get fed this kind of random diet of all carefully curated stuff, putting your head in a really good place. And then the last piece for Be Better is you have got to get off the farm. I work in a an, in an, uh, market area that's practically an island. It is really important for me to get out of here physically, if possible. And if not physically, then I need, you know, so physically, what does that mean? Go to a conference, go to a meeting somewhere else, get out of your market, even get out of your region. If you can go to a a conference, events, a talk, anything you can. And if you can't get out to go to one of those, join a Facebook group or get on a free webinar. They happen all the time. You've got to interact with people outside of your little bubble or you are never going to grow. And it's a great way to shake up your brain and start thinking new. All right, that's five. What is six? What is the sixth happiness principle? The sixth happiness principle in real estate is have a healthy body. Have a healthy body. You've got mensana and corporsana. You know, healthy body, healthy mind, healthy body. You you have to have, if you're tired all the time, you don't feel good all the time, you get aches, you get pains, you're not sleeping well, your diet is garbage, you just bleh, that is going to color everything else you do. This, your health is your absolute foundation. I know agents who have let their health go so badly, they can't even like get out of their car to, to like walk and do a showing. It's no good. You got to get ahead of that before you get to that point. You have got to make it a practice on a regular basis to take care of your body. Now, this comes from someone who loves Cheetos, Reese's peanut butter cups, wine, lots of this is I'm not talking about you need to be like a health nut, but you do need to have some good habits. So three things that I that I think are good to focus on mobility, make sure you can always here is the thing, you need to be able to go to your grave, being able to tie your own damn shoes. Okay, it is a very low bar. But like, Come on, guys. Mobility matters. You need to be able to do more than sit at a desk and drive a car. You got to be able to move. So spend a few days, a few minutes every day moving, yoga, stretching, whatever you want to do. Number two, step. Just walk. Just walk. Just walk. Count your steps. Almost everybody has a Fitbit or an Apple Watch. Count your steps. Make a goal. Be, you know, Practice deliberate inefficiency, take the long way, just get a little bit more movement into your body. I know we're busy. I know a lot of people don't have a ton of time to go to the gym, but I think that is a BS excuse. By the way, moving on to principle number three, working out, find the time, find it. When I first started at the gym that I'm at right now, and by the way, I quit gyms like it's my job. I can't keep a habit to save my life until I started at the gym that I'm at right now. But what I did, I realized I really wanted to try this gym. I had some friends who were going and it looked awesome. 
the only class that I could make it to because of my kids' schedule and my work schedule was at 5.30 in the ever-loving morning. 5.30 a.m. That's when the class started. And you know what? You know what the crazy part is? It's always full. Interesting, right? Turns out the class is full of people who are at the top of their games in their individual inter- industries. We've got people in medicine, real estate, uh, uh, construction, where else? Are they? HR, people, law enforcement, people who are just some of the best of the best. So, hmm, if that's the class that they're going to, there must be something to this. Make the time to work out. I don't care what you do, I don't care if you do Zumba. CrossFit, Peloton, Jumping Jacks in your living room, do something. There is, there's scads of evidence to support this as a happiness tactic. Principle number seven, practice your art. What does that mean? What is your art? So we as real estate agents are constantly on. We are constantly on stage, acting, being something, presenting an image. It's not that we're fake. It's not that we're trying to be something we're not, but we are always trying to present the best of a situation, the best of ourselves in order to, you know, create relationships and get business, the best of our properties in order to sell them, et cetera, the best of our buyer's offers. And, you know, in order to get those um, accepted, we are always on. It is exhausting mentally. You must be off sometimes. You have got to get off the clock and the you get off the clock by zoning out. And that's where I say you practice your art. You know it's your art when you lose yourself in it. What did you love to do when you were a kid? Like if you didn't have to earn money, how would you spend your time? That's like that's a good way to figure out what your art is. So make time in your life to do that. For me, it's singing. Love to sing. Used to be pretty good at it. So now I just sing in my church choir. No big shakes, no huge commitment, works in my schedule, done and done. And it scratches that itch for me. It gives me that time to like separate from everything else and just let it rip. And that's my art. For some people, it's breeding dogs. For some, who, it, everybody's got a, something different. Um, another sort of adjunct to that art piece and where you lose yourself is music. Music is a universal language. You don't have to be a musician to understand it. We've all got playlists that we use. You've got your getting ready playlist. Some of us have like a pump up playlist before a listing appointment. You might have your, your uh, playlist that you play in the shower. You Music does a thing to you. So um, put together a playlist. And if you haven't already, use your playlist. Play that music in the background while you're working. Play it on your way to a listing appointment. Play the the soundtrack that you want to be hearing and the mood that you want to be in to set your mind straight. And or, or, like I said, to soothe you, just to pull you away. Music will take you to another place wherever it is you want to go. Music will take you there. Last last point under principle is, but what if you know? What if you're not much of a knitter or you don't like dogs or whatever? You you don't have an art. There's still hope for you because you probably are ready to try something new. Sign up for a class. And then the other piece of that is if you really don't want to actually do anything, watching other people do things is is another way to get in the zone. Hello, football, professional sports. How much fun is it to watch other people do stuff? People laugh at like Stitch. Well, they laugh at people watching other people play video games. And I don't understand. How is that different from watching a basketball game? It's not. It's entertaining. It's fun. So if you like to watch 
whatever. Watch it. Lose yourself. We joke about cat videos. You know what? If that's your art, by golly, make time for cat videos on a regular basis. You need the break. All right, that was seven. So we only have one more principle of happiness for real estate professionals. And that last one is managing your time. It is so easy. Most of us, um, many of us in this industry are, um, shall we say, talented multitaskers. Some people call it people with attention issues. I'm not, I don't want to make any light of actual ADD and ADHD diagnoses because I am intimately familiar with the reality of those. But it is true. It can be really hard to manage our time because let's go back to the principle of talent. You're not good at everything, but if you're going to be a solo agent, you have to be good at everything or hire somebody. So uh, by the way, hire somebody is my advice. But also while you're trying to do a lot, you need to manage your time. Four principles here, big ones. And actually I I recommend a couple of books in this regard. I like um, Michael Hyatt's Free to Focus will help you with this. And um, Atomic Habits by James Clear, I believe. And and that's where I got most of these principles um, about time management. One is the ideal week. Give each day a theme so that you prioritize a certain kind of task. For instance, Mondays for me is all my current clients and transactions. Tuesdays is hot prospects. Wednesdays is marketing. Thursday is going through my database. And Fridays is operations. I'll do still do everything in each day, but those are the themes of the day. So those categories get the most attention. They get the first attention on those days. Buffer zones, buffer zones. That's my second part of time management. That has saved my life. Buffer zones is sort of like that, you know, get ready, game face, let's get ready. You want to clear your brain, your the desk in your brain. So like answer all those quick phone calls, answer those emails, answer the task texts, give yourself 25 minutes before you sit down to get real busy on something really important on your ideal week. 25 minutes, take care of all those things. And then you're going to move into the next section, which is a power block. During that power block, you're not going to deal with emails, texts, or phone calls because you, you, everything, everything, they can wait. Because if you think about it, listen, if you're in the shower, it can wait then. Why can't it wait while you're making calls to your database? It can wait. And then when you have an, and when you end a power block, go back to another buffer zone and go answer all those calls, texts, and emails. They will be fine. And then the fourth piece of time management is rituals. Basically, what I'm talking about is starting and ending rituals in your day at home and in your day at work. If you can start and end things with intention, you will keep the flow going for your work and for your day and for your energy and for your happiness. Because when you have your time managed, you don't feel as bad. You feel pretty good. You feel pretty in control. When you feel in control, that improves your mood, which is happiness. All right. So there you go. We're, so in, in conclusion, the eight principles of happiness are service, grace, talent, active happiness, being better, just be better, get better, have a healthy body, practice your art, and manage your time. Those are the eight principles on everything on happiness, and they, they're the basis of everything that we do here in the Happiest Person in Real Estate 
podcast. So I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed it because this is this is the stuff that I nerd out on. Um, if you have any questions, um, you can reach out to me right here. Leave a comment. I would love if you left a comment. Um, come see me at katieclancy.com. Um, and tune in for another episode of The Happiest Person in Real Estate.